top of the morning to you. Welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I am your host, Tim Keller. Along with me is a great lad, Matt Disher. How are you doing today, sir? No complaints, Tim. Oh, that's great. Happy St. Patty's Day. Happy St. Patty's Day. As it's known in the Marine Corps, it's Engineer Day, baby. Yeah. Uh, So happy Engineer Day to all the uh, engineers there in the United States Marine Corps, 1371s. And we brought back a awesome guest. His facial hair has transformed. It's morphed into something more. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Tim, Tim Kester joins us again. How are you doing today, TK? Good. Uh, the facial hair has become self-aware and it's starting to, <laughs> start to branch out a little bit. It's, it's got a mind of its own. It's doing its own <laughs> thing. <laughs> oh, it's a club now. It's a club. Yeah, it's a, well, Matt, Matt uh, debuted his mustache last week. And so they're starting some sort of Cincinnati Veterans Mustache Club. Yeah. This this started as a good, not not a joke, but it started as a I don't know if I'm going to keep this thing because I'm not really even sure if I can actually grow facial hair. And uh, and then when I had to like clean it up for a video that we shot, my wife was like, "No, bring it back." So oh. here it is. I got to keep it clean. I'm not uh, I'm not very well versed there, so we'll we'll figure this out. And that's part of the <laughs> that's part of the Mustache Club of Cincinnati, the Veterans Mustache Club of Cincinnati. Is how do we keep our mustaches clean? Just yeah. growing and growing. It's getting bigger and bigger by the days. <laughs> You have to invest in some beard oils. And Matt, I'm sure if uh, if if you get into learning how to care for your mustache, uh, like you get into everything else that you, you know, really matters to you, in a few weeks, you'll get some wax. It'll be curled up on the end. Yeah. You'll be looking super fancy. You know? Well, and, and as they say, with great mustache comes great responsibility. <laughs> great responsibility. <laughs> it's, a, it's a power that not anyone can have. <laughs> not not anybody can wield this power. <laughs> yes. Have used the head. <laughs> so... Well, you have you have TK here to to really lean on, and you know he can answer those hard questions about mustache maintenance and care. So it's good. We'll have, it's we good we should have an episode. We should have an episode of the podcast directed directly at that, dedicated <laughs> to, mustache. to mustache care. <laughs> How to keep Tim chewing on his mustache? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Top uh, five foods to get caught in your mustache. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, it's. You know, it comes with the territory. It's a occupational hazard. But um, we, as we always like to do, we like to bring up some uh, military news. Uh, we normally use military.com. We've got a couple of articles pulled up from there. The first one, and I just kind of wanted to put this out there. It uh, looks like the Air Force is uh, going to be paying some pilots roughly $420,000 in aviation bonuses. So, um, yeah, if anybody asks, I was a pilot for the Air Force. You guys can pay me that 420000 No big yeah. deal. I, I mean, I, I fly some things, uh, yeah, Xbox, yeah. PlayStation. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the, the old ar- arcade games where you would, uh, you, you know, you'd be flying in an aircraft or you'd be sitting in the cockpit. Yeah. I was pretty, I was pretty good at those. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't understand though. I don't understand. I, I realize it's to keep pilots or pilot retention and things like that, but where are all the people who want to fly? Cause I, I know yeah. every little kid wants to fly an airplane. Now everybody can't just go fly an airplane, but where are all the people? Does it say does that article talk about? What the the shortage is all about? Uh, not that I saw. Um, it just says back in December the Air Force began analyzing uh, its incentive bonuses, trying to keep the the current pilot retention program in place. Um, the Air Force came up one thousand nine hundred twenty five pilots short of roughly mm. its twenty one thousand pilot goal. So uh, yeah, obviously they're not bringing in the same number that they like to. Uh, See, hang out and stick around. But yeah, they, I mean, it's some decent bonuses here. We were talking about this. Um, 
for a five to seven year commitment, it's a $25,000 a year uh, bonus. If you give them an eight to 12 year commitment, it's $35,000 a year. So it's a pretty nice bonus to hang well, out and fly around, you know, those, those, are, those recruiters need to get on it. That's, that's what I, that's all I'll blame it on. I'll blame it on the recruiters. Yeah. Get to, get to recruiting. Well, you can blame it on the recruiters because you, know, you kind of do the same thing. Yeah, I don't recruit pilots. I've never recruited a pilot. I take that back. I ha I take that back. I did work for a company at one point in time where they had their own private jets, and I had to I had to do some um, some looking. But I didn't end up hiring that person. I I just did some searching. But uh, those are not fighter pilots, by the way, or or bomber pilots or anything. Well, here's where some of those pilots might be uh, down on Fort Benning, Georgia. It looks like the Army has completed its first round of testing on autonomous drones for ammo resupply. You know, it looks like the Army is going to continue doing some testing. It's it's not a bad idea. These unmanned aircraft can bring in food, supplies, in this case, ammunitions to troops in the field that need those things to keep fighting the good fight. So somebody's got to control these drones, I would imagine, from somewhere. Are, are those considered real pilots? Not to insult anybody who has flown drones, but are those, those are, that's not the same, right? They're, they're called drone pilots, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, they, it's not the same qualification as a, as an aviation. No, no. Yeah. So, so, so they're like, oh, we have a, we have a shortage of pilots, but we don't need pilots. We need drone operators. Well, Did they I mean, put they... you in the centrifuge to crank up your G's while you have those? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they make you it's, play cards. In it's the, so, in... it's so when you show up to work hungover the next day, they know you can still operate the drone. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm really dizzy, but I can still do this. Like, where were you? Well, we're in Las Vegas, so that's why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do my job for anywhere in the world. Right. I mean, yeah. There's, there's definitely got to be some hand-eye coordination for those people. But, yeah, you're not. Obviously, the military does not want to lose a couple hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment in, in a drone crash. But you're also not going to have a loss of life if a drone just kind of falls out of the sky either. So. Right, right. You know, it's uh, there's the ups, there's the downs, but that could possibly be where some of these I want to fly, but I also don't maybe want to crash. Right. Yeah. You know, you miss the whole like the whole roller coaster effect. Like that's one of my bucket list things. I want to fly. I want to be in the backseat of a fighter jet uh, before I get too old. I'd love to go up like I watch these videos where these celebrities get to go up with like the Blue Angels mm -hmm. and they toss them and turn them and some of them throw up. I'm not sure. Like, I have a pretty strong stomach. I think I'd be okay. But that's one of those things I want to do. I want to go up with those guys and let them get up there and do the whole. See, see, Matt, here's, here's what I pick. Cause I know I would personally do the same thing is you see that, uh, you know, I don't know. Let's just say, uh, some action star was up there and he's in the back of the cockpit and, you know, they're going and he's back there trying to maintain his tough guy persona. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then the guy, all right. Here we go. And then they'd really crank the G's when you're like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if we get to a point where he's like, okay, we're going to have some fun up there. And then he's like, oh, this guy's not, you know, giving me what I want out of this. Yeah. So now he's going to force it out of you. It's the great, it's like the great equalizer. It doesn't yeah. matter. It, it doesn't matter how tough you are. If they put you up there, I guarantee those guys can make you do yeah. something you don't want to do. He's going to make you grunt and go, okay. okay. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Right. right. I was rolling back your head. Yeah, yeah, right. Just out, out you go. Your head. But I would, I would, to, I would totally still do it. Yeah. I'd, I'd still do it. I put some GoPro cameras in there, affix them to the dashboard or whatever, and that's what I'm saying. Just make sure you give it to them early enough in the flight. Like, yeah, man, this is 
Ooh, I'm feeling those G's. Right. Let them know you're feeling it early. Right. Right. Yeah, this, might be just, this might be a Barrick's War story or, you know, just third person Joe rumors. But I always heard in the Air Force that certain people, as a reenlistment perk, they're able to go up in a jet. Do you guys know anything about that? I don't. I've, I've heard similar things that, hey, like in lieu of a bonus, we're going to yeah. take you up for five minutes. Yeah. I'll, I'll stay, uh, but I want to go up. Yeah. All right. <laughs> they're, they're like, the money isn't everything. You know, have this experience. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, if it was like between like 50 grand and an airplane ride, I'd take the 50 grand, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, you'd think that like if you did a career in the Navy or the Air Force or, or one of these branches that has fight, I mean, I guess all of them, except for maybe the Army has the fighter jets. So, uh, you'd think that at some point in time, you could probably ride on a jet as, as an employer. I've been invited not to ride on a fighter jet, but I've been invited to ride on uh, on some Air Force aircraft a handful of times. Uh, the boss lift thing. It's it's basically like companies that have dedicated themselves to like hiring guard and reserve and military members go on the boss lift. And we get to go up and fly. We got to refuel some aircraft over uh, Cleveland. So it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool experience. Again, not the same as flying on a fighter jet by any means, but we did some of these crash drills where... If you're on a KC-135, which is full of fuel, full of jet fuel, and you're, you got a boom lowered down, you're refueling like stealth bombers and things like that behind you. We did these drills where we'd have to break away real fast. And that was kind of cool because it was like your worst nightmare on like a, uh, like a commercial airliner, like where suddenly the thing like climbs way up in the air or dives way down in the air. So, um, but I, I trust these guys. I always like it when the uh, when the pilot in my commercial flight is an older person because I'm I'm like either you've probably been through the military and you've learned all the you've been flying you know old rust bucket airplanes things that are leaking and falling yeah. apart <laughs> or you've just been flying airplanes forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm more trusting of those people. Anyway, um, I've flown on those things, not fighter jets, but big ones. Uh. One of our buddies jumped out of a plane just yesterday. Oh yeah, uh, Jacob Rhodes. So, oh, I saw that. Yeah, jumped I out of a that. plane. He's yeah, skydiving. So, yep. Speaking of pilots, uh, one of the Korea War's most moving stories is now set for a Hollywood movie. Um, this is actually a story I'm not familiar with, but it's based on the best-selling book Devotion, an epic story of heroism, friends, friendship, and sacrifice. Uh, the movie is going to chronicle the close friendship between naval aviators Jesse Brown and Tom Hudner and their heroism during the Battle of the Chosen Reservoir. Uh, for those that don't know, it's uh, during the Korean War, a bunch of Marines kind of kind of stuck in the Chosen Reservoir facing uh, uh, Korean and Chinese uh, enemies, um, very much outnumbered. Uh, so these these naval pilots were providing air cover. Um, according to the story, uh, pilot Jesse Brown, the first African-American naval aviator, so already a, a man of historical uh, stature, uh, crashes his his friend Tom Hudner in an attempt to try to save his friend also crashes. Uh, Mr. Hudner later receives the Medal of Honor for his actions taken. Um, but this is a, a book that. You know, apparently, uh, hit some, hit some right nerves, hit the, hit the right chords with individuals that got taken to, you know, Hollywood, the people that make the movies, make the magic happen, if you will. Jesse, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jesse Brown, first black naval aviator 
did not survive that day, did not survive mm-hmm. that that encounter. Um, if if you know about the Battle of the Chosen Reservoir, uh, the U.S. troops were severely outnumbered. I mean, it was like you know, it's like ten to one or some crazy number. Um, you know, somebody can fact check that for me, but that is that's my my recollection is that uh, it was a, a largely outnumbered force, and it was cold out, and they were undersupplied and overwhelmed, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, these these pilots went in and and tried to lay down some cover. Um, and uh, you know, there's not enough movies made about the Korean conflict either. You know, we yeah. we get a we get a ton of movies about World War II, which is good. I'd like to see more. Um, recently, 1917 came out, World War One, which is a, mm-hmm. a really good flick. That is a good one. A, a handful of Vietnam movies were made in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I think they need to to bring back the sort of the Steven Spielberg, Christopher Nolan sort of grittiness and make some more Vietnam movies. But there is a the Korean War movies are seriously underrepresented. So these are great stories to see. There, I'm, I'm glad they're making movies out of them, and hopefully this flick is good. It looks like it might be okay. Would you consider the Rambo films uh, Cold War movies? Of course, yeah, okay. historically accurate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I think First Blood is more of a it's a tale about transitioning from the from the military mm. in the civilian world, and I have absolutely no clue what those guys went through who came back from Vietnam. No idea at all. I mean, John Rambo uh, was just trying to network in a local community, and you know, <laughs> well, and. And didn't that happen to you guys? Didn't you go yeah. work on a construction site or a farm, and then one day yeah. the colonel shows up and he's like, "Hey, we need you again." Yeah, actually, Brian actually, he ran me out of town. Listen, I did get a call back. I, I did get a call back. Uh, I was out for like six or eight months, and they called me back and said, "Hey, you want to come back?" It wasn't a colonel; it was some marine gunnery sergeant over the phone. It was a very you know transactional conversation. But I like to think of that. That was their way of saying, "Matt Disher, we need you back." There, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like like Rambo, and they're yeah. like, "Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever, 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 we'll get you to come back." Just come Girl Troutman needs you. But yeah. can you gentlemen imagine, like Matt? Can you imagine driving through Newtown and the police chief says, "Hey, you can't, you can't get something to eat here. You have to keep on driving to Anderson." Or keep on oh yeah, over. and I, I've said this before uh, on this podcast and in, in numerous conversations. Uh, the Vietnam generation saved our generation a lot of strife because they were not welcomed back. They they were they were shunned, they were spit on, they were called names, they were all kinds of things. And and many of them did not have a choice to serve and you know this is the thing. I have said this all the time. You know you can you can dislike the conflict and nobody likes conflict. War is bad. War is ugly, it's destructive, it's 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 horrible. It's horrible for all for all parties and even the troops that are serving in it don't want to be there. Uh Everybody thinks they want to go fight in a battle until somebody starts shooting at them. It's the most frightening thing in your entire life, but it's not their fault. It's not the guy wearing the uniform, the, the the woman wearing the uniform. It's not their fault. You know, if you if you disagree with the politics of conflict, go go push on the politicians. Go tell them to get out of there. Don't spit on people in a uniform. So these these men and women who returned from Vietnam faced this this large criticism and and name calling and they were never welcomed home until later you know thankfully these days there are organizations welcoming them home 50 years later 40 years later but uh no i couldn't imagine it tim i can't i i couldn't it was it was you know it's kind of a, a blemish in in society's history i think well um 
You know, sometimes luck just kind of finds you. And as I was reading the article about the Korean War uh, movie being made, at the very bottom, there was a link to a one more article I wanted to talk about, and it is nine tips for skating in the Navy. So for those of you that don't know what skating might be, skating is a term that is used in the Navy, in the Marine Corps, as getting out of work, essentially, without being caught. So uh, for, this, for, the, uh, for the Army listeners and viewers, uh, see also shamming. Shamming. Okay, I like shamming. The army always has to have its own things. Right. We're gonna be special. We're special snowflakes. We're gonna call it something different. So so work can be monotonous for junior sailors who spend their day cleaning, cranking, and painting. The trick is to make the best of it. So they asked seasoned veterans from the Submarine Bubblehead Brotherhood. I'm not one hundred percent sure what that is, but it sounds like a lot of fun. And the US Navy Veterans Facebook groups for their advice on how to avoid work without getting caught, better known as skating. If if anybody's been in, they know that there's an art to skating. They think it's a lazy man's, uh, you know, <laughs> a lazy man's forte. Really, it's it's you know, it's a skill. It's something you have to work at. So we'll go over these nine tips, and we'll see which one um, probably fits us best. So the first one is volunteer to go for a run for the for the division. It says runs involve going for snack supplies, uh, those sort of things. The key here is to take your time, turn a half day event going to the PX or the barracks into a full day. Um, but avoid looking suspicious is what it says. <clears throat> I've never personally given this opportunity myself while I was in, but I could understand how this one would be. You know, you're, you're there to go get snacks and supplies. You end up on the other side of the PX and you're looking at jeans and sneakers. You know. Get a cinnamon. <laughs> yeah, get a cinnamon, exactly. You yeah. know? Yeah, uh, sounds good. Number two, hide in plain sight. Hide in plain sight with cleaning materials. If you look busy, no one will bother you. Uh, for the article, they show a picture of two sailors. Uh, they're essentially just holding very dirty sponges against the wall. It well, doesn't really look like they're scrubbing anything. And let's think about this: everybody in the military is wearing camouflage as their daily work uh, uniform, so it's very easy. It should be very easy. Just stand really still, and nobody will see you, right? Because it's camouflage. <laughs> and, and go. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so number three, and this is just, this is probably the easiest and laziest of them all. It says, sit in the stall in the head. Uh, the head meaning the bathroom. It just shows a, a set of legs with the trousers around the ankles under the stall door. Um, you know, that's just, that one's pretty lazy. You're just sitting on a toilet all day. That's not fun. You know, I guess in today's day and age with the cell phones, you can feel like you're being, uh, you know, accomplished, yeah. getting stuff done, scrolling through your social medias. but. Yeah, yeah. Back back in our day, Matt, we'd have just been sitting in a in a smelly bathroom for hours. Well, if you think about like the barracks that we lived in, in some cases, at least you know, and I'm thinking from boot camp to uh, everywhere I've been, uh, there were no doors on the stalls. Mm. If if there were even stalls in some cases, uh, yeah, someone was just a line of toilets, right? You just reach over and high five the guy next to you. Where are you, you hiding? Have, like the open air World War II barracks. We, um, essentially, yeah. Yeah. So we we lived for for some time. We lived in like we called them the crack houses. They were uh, they were barracks at. Uh, so this was I'm thinking of Camp Pendleton at uh, First Combat Engineer Battalion, Fifth Marines, the Fifth Marines area, First Combat Engineer Engineer Battalion. Easy for me to say. We shared the same area. Uh, at one point in time, my barracks were 
old squad bays that have been turned into rooms. And so you had the rain room in the middle. So you had all these bedrooms and then you had, you had the, the rain room in the middle, which was just open shower bays. And half of them didn't work. They were just pipes that came out of the ceiling and water just poured. <laughs> there weren't shower heads. The water just poured out of them. And of course the drains didn't work either. So mm. you're just standing in your own filth. Anyway, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the toilets were stalls with no doors. And some of the stalls had been knocked down. You know, of course, they tried to keep it pretty, but it didn't. They tore those down. They tore those down my last year in the Marine Corps. You, you put doors on stalls and, you know, in a place like that, guess what? Somebody's going to have a couple of drinks and they're going to, you know, go run through one or kick one in. And then you're no. just paying to put a new door on. So just take the doors off. Don't even worry about it. No, nobody was drinking in the barracks. <laughs> of, on, you know, of a certain age. Anyways. Right. Uh, number four, volunteer for the dreaded task that the dreaded task that no one wants and that requires very little supervision. So, uh, for the photo here, it shows a, an individual lying under a jet looking up, you know, maybe it looks like somebody doing an oil change on a vehicle personally. Um, but yeah, I'm not assuming he's pulling an oil filter out of a, of a jet here. So it's just a, a matter of finding that task that, oh, nobody else will say, right, I'll go do that. You guys stay over here and do this stuff for the day. I'll be I'll be over there doing that. But let's, I'll be back let's, tomorrow. Let's think about this. When you volunteer for something, like nobody ever tells you what you're volunteering for mm-hmm. first. Like they're mm-hmm. not like, hey, I need a volunteer to go change the oil filter on this jet, you yeah. know, or somebody go get some blinker fluid out of the closet on the other side of the base. They're like, hey, I need some bodies, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to volunteer for this. Like, what are we going to do? Sometimes it can be good, right? But the, but then they're like, okay, I need you guys to run 15 miles with these sandbags on your shoulders. You're like, oh, I volunteered for the wrong thing. So who's, a, who's a small engine expert? Oh, I am. I can work on engines. Great, you're going to cut the whole field. You're grabbing right. a lot more. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So so in, and and this list is Navy, right? This is Navy specific. Yes. Yep. So so my my brother was Navy, so I, I'm allowed to say this because it's in the family. So is my dad. But they always said that Navy stood for never again volunteer yourself. Hmm. And and this comes from this, like you don't, you should not volunteer yourself. Don't ever raise your hand and say, just kind of blend in. That was mm-hmm. the advice that I got in boot camp. Blend in, just be like the mediocre person. Yeah. You don't, live, you don't want them to know your name. Live in that happy, happy middle ground. Right. Know? That's that's where, where that's where it is. That's wear where your camouflage. Because if you're on the, in this case, we talked about it last week. If you're on the back end, you're going to get what's called voluntold. Like, oh, right. nobody wants to volunteer. Hey, Tim, you're a bag of shit. Here we right. go. Right. Oh yeah, right. Uh, frozen uh, frozen toilets in Afghanistan. Yeah. And, uh, I don't I don't know if this is this is impolite uh, flight for the audience, but hey Tim, so there was there's certain individuals that refused to use the portalettes, so they insisted on using actual plumbing the toilets because they didn't want to go sit out there in the cold. So unfortunately, what happens when it's ten below and people use toilets? Certain things freeze. Mm-hmm. They can no longer flow through where they need to flow through. So some people have to sit there with a screwdriver and oh. half cut open liter water bottles and chipping and scooping. And yeah, that's all the, the things we did. Oh. Yeah. The and things we did. And no. Because <laughs> people don't want to listen. People just don't want to do the right thing. Yeah, uh, I, I volunteered for a handful of things. I'd say 75% of them, as soon as you're told what it is, you're like, ah, oh, dear God. But right. there is that small 25% where you're like, oh, this is, this is going to be a good time. This is going to be fun. 
Yeah. So. Sit sit here and watch TV and make sure nobody steals this Hummer. Roger. Am I Roger, part of somebody? <laughs> Can well, I steal the Hummer? <laughs> so so then what would happen is sometimes what they do is say, well, if you're if you're guarding the gear, you're guarding you're the duty NCO in the barracks. No, you're not allowed to watch TV or play video games during your duty. And it's like, really, I'm sitting in the hallway at a table anyway. Why can't I do? You know, that was the one that always bugged me. I'm sitting in the barracks on Saturday afternoon. Nobody's here. Uh, why can't I watch TV? I have to sit here and do what? So you mentioned it. The Saturday afternoon was the great shift because people are still, you know, resting from their night before activities and they resting. haven't got into today's yeah. activities yet. So Re- resting from staying up late and working out. And, yes. And reading, preparing their uniforms for Monday's uh, <laughs> Inspections, right? Now, well, for, I mean, for the, folks at, for the folks at home, are you guys talking about CQ or stamp duty? Yeah, yes. uh, yeah, like, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, you know, again, when I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, Southern California, it's so like on on Saturdays, people like it was mass exodus. People would be mm-hmm. at the beaches. They they'd have you know girlfriends out in town or whatever. They'd be they'd be gone. So nobody was there. Every mm-hmm. once in a while, you had that guy that like would just hole up in his room with all of his his blinds shut, just watching TV all Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Southern California. 80 degrees outside. Yeah. Perfect weather. Beautiful. I'm going to watch movie. I'm going to binge watch some movies in my room, in my dark yeah. room. <laughs> I had, I had a neighbor that, uh, was a SpongeBob fan, I guess. He's from Wisconsin. He'd, he'd sit there all weekend long and watch SpongeBob episodes. And I'm like, all right, dude. The, the people we meet, man. Yeah. The people we meet. Uh, number, number five on the list. Personally, my favorite walk around the ship looking worried while holding a clipboard. It's pretty simple. If you're in an office setting or you're in a, like a maintenance setting, especially on, on like a ship or a sub, get that clipboard. Make sure you got a couple pieces of paper. You don't want a blank clipboard. You got to get some paper, grab a writing utensil, pencil, pen, and just as you're walking around, just look at things. Possibly scribble something. It has point at something from time to time. Yeah, that's not, <laughs> three, that's not right. Okay, and just and just move on. That's not going to work. Just take a note. There's four four lights in this hallway. That's cool. <laughs> and then move on to the next hallway. Oh, four. There's three here. Okay. Maybe mumble something like that shouldn't be that. That shouldn't no. be like that. Why is, why is that there? Oh, no. Okay. Uh, Say oh, no from that. <laughs> Gentlemen, I have to run. Let's okay. Next month. Thank you again for having me. Saint Pat- or happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Sam, uh, I know you got a big draft coming up, man. I do. I do. I do. Yeah. And uh, I look forward to uh, reestablishing the Mustache Club of Eastern Cincinnati <laughs> with Matthew. <laughs> Thank you again for having me, gentlemen. Not a problem, Tim. Great to talk to you. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's pretty easy. I know, you know, uh, I I used to have a job years ago where I was out of the office four of the five days a week. Friday, they wanted us back in the office. Uh, Most of the time we'd have like a an early morning meeting, just kind of get everybody together, talk about, you know, issues. What's what, you know, what's going on in the next couple months, start planning for things. Uh, But the rest of the day was kind of. If there wasn't a big project going on, somebody didn't need help with something outside of the office, it was kind of you're stuck in the office the rest of the day. So on days where I couldn't figure something out to get out of the office, I'd simply just go down to the warehouse and essentially just, oh, yeah, yep, that stuff's still there from uh, last month. And then I'd walk over here to this. Oh, look at that. That's the same thing I saw just two weeks ago. Yep. There's that thing. (laughs) Oh, we have three of these now. Huh? Where'd that one come from? That's, That's interesting. We must be selling more of these. That's cool. Well, I mean, if you, if you think about it, like that's, that's a lot of the time we spent, uh, in any unit. It was like, yeah. if we weren't on training and, and I, I, I told my wife this a lot. I'm like, I didn't have, I didn't do anything outside of 
the Marine Corps and oftentimes because I was in training or we were deployed or we were doing something, there wasn't all this time to go do other stuff. And so that she'd ask me or people would ask me, what, what did you do on a day to day basis? Like, Oh, we go down to the engineer closet and pull all the gear out and make sure we still have it. Yeah. Like every week we do that. Yeah. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's been locked up. Uh, yeah. Um, you have your inventory control. You have to do That's go, true. go, go PM the vehicles, which I wasn't a mechanic. So I didn't know what I was doing. It's yeah. just, let's go down there and oh, we've got some dirt on these tires. Let's scrape I was gonna it say, off. You just, you get the cloth and you're just, yeah, you're, you're rubbing the hubcap like, you're, okay. you're you're detailing a 20 year old dirty humvee yeah. you know and and as yeah. soon as you drive those things by the way for anybody who's driven in a or has not driven in a soft skin hummer as soon as you drive those things all the dirt and dust off the road just comes inside so it doesn't matter what you do to it it's just going to be dirty all the time which is why they have like no components in them yeah yeah just think about that you and i have probably pulled uh desert storm dust out of vehicles at some point oh yeah so. yeah I have been like on a ship when we were coming back from the Middle East. When I when I was on a deployment with the Eleventh Mew, before we came back into the United States, we had to do an ag inspection, an agricultural inspection, mm-hmm. and these people came onto the ship and inspected all the vehicles, made sure nobody was smuggling animals and fruits and vegetables back into the U.S. And we had to sit in these vehicles and scrub dirt off of the the vehicles on the bottom side had like tar and oil and stuff on them. Like everything was stuck there. We're like scrubbed with wire brushes for days. And I'm not sure we ever actually did anything. Cause then I'm like, okay, so we scrubbed all this stuff off. Now it's sitting on the deck of the ship and the ship's going to pull back into San Diego. Where's the yeah. dirt go? <laughs> yeah. Just, into know. the ports of San Diego. Cause the ship's right. just going to get power washed off. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. While we're all dumping our pineapples and apples and fruits and into the water. <laughs> oh, we can't have these? I was hoping to... Filipino bananas I <laughs> snuck on I was, the ship. Right, I was hoping to smuggle some fruit that's now bad. Yeah. Yes. Back yeah. to the United States from the other side of the world in the three weeks that it took us to get here. Yeah. Uh, number six, they call this chase the signature. In order to stand watch or use a piece of equipment in the Navy, you must first get qualified. The near qualification requires that another qualified sailor give you a tutorial on this piece of gear. It says you can be, in air quotes here, I did not know this term, you can be Joe Navy and have your qualification done in a couple of days or maybe over the weekend, or you can drag this out by asking for the tutorial at the wrong time. And when, and when asked for the status of your qualifications, no one can deny that you weren't trying. So if you just time it right, and you're like, oh, I don't want to do what we're doing today. So, hey, I want to get trained on this radar system over here. I'm going to go talk to Bill. And then you go over and you know Bill's super, super busy. Hey, Bill, when can I train on this radar? I'll just sit here and watch you for the day. Right. <laughs> it's called a shadow. It's going to shadow you. Yep. Before you know it, you're you're proficiently operating the radar system. There you go. You're like, hey, there's a little blip over there. That's something. Let's just ignore it. Yeah. Like they did at Pearl Harbor. It's getting closer. <laughs> It's Should bigger, we say something? Closer. No. Okay. <laughs> I, I I've seen some of those on on uh, on videos. I have no idea what those guys are looking at. Mm. My brother did like sonar stuff in the like counter submarine surveillance and stuff like that in the Navy. No idea what they're looking at. No clue. It's all like high tech stuff. I'm I'm sure it's um I'm sure the the military has ways of deciphering what is what you know being able to classify certain blips on the radar, right. but um. Well, 
have you seen the movies like uh, like Greyhound, Tom Hanks Greyhound, mm-hmm. uh, where they're you know the ships in the in the Channel or something like that, or crossing the Atlantic, and they would uh, you'd have the guys with the headphones on, like oh it's headed southeast, and it's there's three of them, and one of them just fired a, and I'm always like, can that guy really tell what? what's happening in the water just by listening. Is that, I mean, do they train them? Cause it's not on the screen. He's listening. He's like, he's got one screw on and one screw off. And there's somebody laughing in the bathroom. <laughs> like, really? Can we tell all that? I, I know from a uh, fun fact, a uh, licensed uh, United States coast guard captain of 50 ton vessels here. Uh, I can, you know, be on a boat, be watching the radar and I can say, Hey, three miles off our starboard side, there is a vessel of some sort. I could not tell you, I, you know, based off the blip I'm getting, I can be, it's a large vessel, right? It's a small vessel, but there's something over there. I would be Matt out in his personal fishing boat three miles away from me trying to catch a tuna. Or, um, if it's a bigger blip, I could be, well, that's either a cruise ship or a warship or, uh, you know, an oil tanker. <laughs> I don't know. This would be a drug, a drug smuggling submarine where you jump off your boat on top of it and bang on the door and say, yeah. "Open this door." Yeah, yeah. I'm so. not here for the. I'm not here for the stuff. I just want the money. Right. <laughs> yeah. Give me the money. Uh, number seven. I never heard of this one, but now that I've read it, it sounds like a fantastic idea. It says, "Leave an extra cover hat for those of you that don't know the term for cover and a set of keys on the desk in your shop." So. Show up to your, uh, you know, your place of duty, your place of work, your workstation. Leave an extra cover and an extra set of keys to make it look like, hey, I'm in the area, I'm here, and then go off and enjoy your day. And when somebody comes to look for you, they're like, well, where's Matt at? I mean, his his stuff's right here. He's got to be around. And then they waste their day looking for Matt. And well, <laughs> and let's think about this. So this is again, this is written for the Navy. So if your mm-hmm. keys are there, and let's assume I know I realize everybody on, in the Navy is not on a ship, but mm-hmm. if you're on a ship, then I, hopefully your keys are there. Because if your keys are gone, <laughs> where'd Matt go? Did he go somewhere? <laughs> no, I think he's still on the ship. We're uh, we're about sure? 500 miles off of Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cut to Matt sitting on the beach. <laughs> right. His keys are still his keys are still here, so he must be here on the he ship. He turned somewhere. his stuff in. Without saying anything to anybody, and he stayed in Hawaii. Yeah, love um, it. it says take a nap in the storage room. Get your buddy to lock you in the storage room or the munitions room. Uh, the room locks from the outside, so make sure your buddy's trustworthy. Otherwise, prepare uh, to go to mast if a man overboard is called and he, and you miss the muster. Um, yeah, this one's kind of you're you're putting your trust in somebody else. It'd be like um. You know, going up to you know the supply warehouse to you know count the camo netting and uh, the tarps and the GP tents. Just make sure you have the same three you had the month before and right. the month two, before that and two days before. You know, yeah, right. Um, but in this case, you would need somebody to you know after you get in to then lock the door behind you, and then after an appropriate amount of time, come back and let you out. If if you're willing to go that route, great. Right. I, I I don't know. Uh, and this one, it's a little bit newer with the technology, but number nine is get a wireless alert charm. So they have those magnetic, uh, the magnetic seals, essentially you put one at the top of the door, one at the bottom, you know, at the bottom of the door. And as the door opens and they separate, it sets off the chime. So you take the chime, you throw it in your pocket, you walk off, you, you know, you got your, uh, your little beach chair sitting behind a pile of boxes. You're sitting there napped out when that door opens up. You just say, I'm over here counting. 
nuts and bolts. Inventorying beach chairs. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. A busy day, you know. Yeah. Oh, I'm just tired. No, I'm tired. No, I wasn't sleeping. I'm, I'm tired from working so hard. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to count beach chairs? Yeah, right. right. It's laborious work. Yeah. Heavy. These things are heavy. So. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the thing about skating, the thing about that, about this and the military in general is if you're a person who is known for skating, mm-hmm. then you're not going to get away with a lot of this stuff. Like mm-hmm. there, you know, as a, when I was an NCO and I had Marines under me, I knew who the ones were that I had to watch out for. Uh, similarly, you know, you knew the hard workers, you knew the ones that would take care of business. And every once in a while, if you suspected they were skating, I would allow it to a certain extent. I'd be like, all right, Tim Keller, uh, you know, he's usually giving it 120%, but today he said he had to run back and shine his boots in his room and he's been gone for two hours and he just got this new Xbox game. So that's fine. We don't need him today. Yeah. Um, whereas if it was, you know, I can't think of any names off the top, any real names. It was Steve Smith, but Steve Smith is always skating. Steve Smith never pulls his weight. <laughs> no, Steve, you're not polishing your boots in your room today. You're going to sit right here and count, count beach chairs. There was always the, hey, show up at a 0530 formation. Um, you know, you'd start doing your, your early morning calisthenics, your warm-ups for PT. Uh, you'd get in, get in formation for your run. And you'd make it about a quarter of a mile. And randomly, the same individuals would always roll that ankle. Oh, right. Ah, uh, oh, I got to go see Doc. My foot hurts again. And then, you know. They go see Doc. Everybody else uh, goes for the run. They're back in the barracks at seven, seven thirty, getting uh, getting their showers and changed. Back to back down to work at eight o'clock to start the actual day's work. And uh, you know, so and so, you know, we'll start. We'll stick with Steve Smith. Steve Smith comes rolling back in at eleven, eleven thirty. He's got a little uh, ice pack, a little gel mm-hmm. ice pack for his ankle, and uh, you know, he's told to take some Tylenol. You know, yeah, like hey, hey, Steve. <laughs> How are you today? Thanks yeah. for showing up. Uh, oh, Steve, you you went to BAS four hours ago. What took so long? I was yeah. there the whole time in the waiting room. No, yeah, I think so. that's not how it works here. <laughs> that's not how it Good works. Good old Steve. <laughs> I mean, you know, and again, the Marine Corps is different from from my experience, all the other branches. But uh, uh, we had like have surgery, and you'd get like six hours of light duty. You know, <laughs> like so, I got all four of my wisdom teeth taken out in the Persian Gulf while I was awake. Mm-hmm. So on a ship like. The, the the reason they gave me for not putting me to sleep was that if something happens on the ship, you have to get up and be mobile. Mm-hmm. So all four wisdom teeth could hear him crunching away. I had little glasses on. I was watching Tombstone oh. in the glasses. Yeah. Good flick. Still one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'm watching the movie and uh, couldn't feel half of my face. And then I got some Tylenol and some, you know, or no, maybe it was Motrin and water. Mm-hmm. Drink, drink, take Motrin, drink water. Take six hours off, go lay down, take a nap. But then, like the next day, I was up doing stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So there was no, uh, there was no, hey, you twisted your ankle, now you, you don't have to work for a week. No, no, it was, oh, you twisted your ankle, and we did surgery on it. You're going to be back at work four hours later. Well, I, I feel really chipped right now. I'll be honest. Uh, you know, you had yours pulled on a ship. Um, you had the glasses with the with the movies going. I had mine done on penalty, mm-hmm. all four removed. No anesthesia, or you know, no. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, anesthesia. Local anesthesia. Was not a shot sleep. of whiskey. All right, <laughs> here we go. Here, bite down on this stick. <laughs> um, 
Now, uh, uh, they didn't put me to sleep either. They gave me the local anesthesia. But I had no glass. I was staring at the ceiling of this uh, dental office while I heard the cranking and crunching of my teeth. And, yeah, your your head's being jerked a little bit to uh-huh. the side. But yeah. overall, you don't you know really feel it. Um, but, yeah, they, 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 they pack it with the, with the cotton. They give you the Motrin. And, you know, hey, at the end of the night, you know, flush it out with some salt water and mm-hmm. try to repack it if you can. They tell you, you know, no, no drinking from straws, no smoking. Um, you know, think, try not to to do any super strenuous activity for about forty eight hours, and then, you know, lately come back. So that evening, I had a buddy who played uh, for a soccer team on base for the for the uh, unit we were part of, and I thought he's got a game tonight. What what's going to be easier than me sitting on my butt in some bleachers watching my buddy play some soccer? So right, uh, jumped in his car with him, drove down to the soccer field. Plays at the other end of the field. He plants his leg to cross the ball, goes down. But if you've ever watched soccer and somebody gets within three and a half inches of, of another player, they they hit the deck and start flopping oh, around. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, it's the worst thing. Right. And yeah. I'm assuming that's what's happening. Yeah. And I quickly realized, like, oh, no, people are gathering around him. Like, it's yeah. not a, hey, he's, you know, he's got a bump on his eye. Like, no, it's it's a, you know, and they start waving. For some reason, there was no ambulance there, no no medical uh, vehicles there, and um, so I go down there thinking, ah, oh, this guy's playing around, and yeah, his bone's sticking out of his leg, Ooh. and uh, they're like, oh, we need to get him to the hospital, and I'm like, well, I came with him, I'll get him to the hospital, you know. so I pick a grown man up, I carry him across the soccer field, put him in his car, jump in his car, drive him to the uh, hospital there on base, again, pick him up out of the car, carry him to the front of the emergency room, set him down in a wheelchair, and wheel him back into the emergency room. I set him over by the, you know, the chairs in the waiting area and I go up to the desk to let him know he needs to see somebody. But because my wisdom teeth were just taken out earlier that day and I was carrying a grown man, my holes in my face have now began to bleed very Ugh. badly. And as I go to let them know he needs help, I have blood just pour out of my mouth. And they're like, <laughs> oh my God, sir, are you okay? And I'm like, it's, it's not me. He, he needs help. Not he's me. got a broken leg. It's just my wisdom teeth. I'll be okay. <laughs> so, the uh, yeah, they, you know, they quickly wheel him back. To Get him into a room. I go into the bathroom, wash my face up. I uh, stole some paper towels out of there and stuffed them into my face. Um, they finally let me go back with him. And uh, I'll tell you what, he he got a Viking or not a Viking drip, a, a morphine drip. And uh, he was on another planet by the time I got back to that room. But he was he was he was in good spirits. I was trying to talk the uh, nurse into giving me one. I was like, I was just out there bleeding badly. Like, yeah, hit me with one. Like, let's so- let's go. So the advice to him when he hurt his leg on the soccer field was not drink, like take a knee, drink, drink water, take a motor. <laughs> no, no, That's they actually more- gave him real medicine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They killed that pain. They, they, they made him feel much better. I can't tell you how many stories I have with blood. The same thing happened to me right after my wisdom teeth were removed. I'm just, yeah. I'm standing there. I think I was going to the bathroom or something like that. And all of a sudden there's just blood like pouring out of my pouring face. Out of your face and, I, yeah. and I wasn't, but uh, another, another funny story was we had to get blood tests and yeah. the, the corpsman. We're, we're doing our blood test, and this was a brand new corpsman. He was the first, like one of the first times he's probably stuck somebody with a needle. <laughs> and I had, um, I always had really good circulation in my arms. Like I had these huge veins in my arms. And, uh, you know, he goes and puts the tourniquet on there and he's popping with a needle. I'm like, hey, man, just be careful. Cause like the last couple times they've done this, blood sprayed everywhere. And he thought I was kidding. He's like, I'm not worried about blood. I, you know, that's why I became a corpsman. You know, blood doesn't bother me. Pops me with the needle, undoes the tourniquet. And blood sprays all over his face. And this guy, I have, I had never until that moment 
you know, as a, I was a 19 year old kid, I'd never seen somebody actually turn green. Like the guy <laughs> turned green and the, the senior corpsman there started laughing. I, and they were, the funny thing was they thought I was going to pass out. I'm like, Hey, just be careful. He's like, why are you going to pass out? I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine, but you're going to pass out. Yeah, yeah. This dude looked like he had just seen a ghost. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, later on, I got, you know, we were doing, I was doing IVs. Like I, I had the corpsman letting me do my own IVs on myself uh, out in the field, which is also a different, unique experience. But I, I do know um, during the birth of, of my, my youngest, the uh, C-section, they, they, they bring the wife in, they get her all set up. They bring me in after she's all set up, but they have the, the curtain midsection. So she can't see down there because even though. They give her the anesthesia. If people see things like that, they may begin to panic. So they right. just curtain up so the, so the ladies can't see. They wheel a little stool over by her head. Like, Here you go, sir. I'm like, what's that for? They're like, just sit down. That way, you know, we only, I'm like, oh, you don't know who you're dealing with. I'm taking pictures of all of this. <laughs> I want to do the surgery. Can I do the surgery? Can I? I will make the first decision. Like, like right, right. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah. I, I told during during that whole event, I told everybody, like, listen, when we get, you know, the baby comes and we get settled in, I at that time will then um, send out photos of the baby. Uh, don't don't bother us. Don't don't harass us. If you do, I will have a very special present for you, because like I said, I was taking photos of the entire thing. And if you were going to bug me and say, hey, I want a picture of the baby, you're going to get a picture of something other than the baby. And it's probably not going to be uh, the most pleasant scene. <laughs> That's how I handled it. Matt, I wanted to ask you, I saw on um, on LinkedIn, you're posting some things about this uh, 50 Strong. It's a virtual yep. um, virtual job fair? Yep. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a virtual job fair. It's um, So 50 Strong is, a, is an organization that, uh, that I'm partnering with now, uh, and they are going to be specializing in kind of making that connection between the companies and the skill bridge opportunities, or, or rather the, the, the companies who are hosting skill bridge opportunities and the candidates who are seeking skill bridge opportunities. And, you know, we've talked about skill bridge on here. Just in short, for anybody listening, uh, the, the skill bridge opportunity is something that's offered to any any qualifying service member, anybody who's currently serving in the military, and this allows them up to, uh, depending on command approval, the DOD has authorized their commands to give each individual up to 180 days of internship or apprenticeship inside of a company that approves them. So this allows somebody who's done 20 years in the military to now take up to six months of the end of their military service and come work for a company. So the guidance is out there through the DOD Skillbridge program. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of information floating around the internet, but I think that one of the struggles has been that companies oftentimes are looking for benchmarking and candidates are looking for benchmarking. Candidates don't know how to approach this. So the numbers year over year are growing. More and more people are taking advantage of Skillbridge. More and more companies are taking advantage of Skillbridge. Some of the largest companies in America are taking advantage of SkillBridge, but they're just still in this build phase trying to figure out what happens next with it. So 50 Strong aims to bridge that gap, and that's not their – I'm not a representative of them. Uh, it's not their official motto, which I don't know what that is. But they've been hosting a handful of conversations, and it includes people like me and some of my counterparts at, at other large companies like Amazon Lowe's, ADP, just to name a few, uh, who are hosting – these these skill bridge opportunities. So there are a couple of conversations. There's one later on today, uh, Wednesday. There's one tomorrow that uh, is is available to anybody looking for a skill bridge opportunity, but also to uh, student veterans. 
with a, a bunch of their their different uh, university partners, 50 Strong's university partners. So this is a growing network. It is it represents probably the the leading discussion on Skillbridge at this point. So we uh, we hopped in with them to to be in these conversations because we are leading the pack on this too. Uh, we have a lot of opportunities. So that's what it is. It's not a virtual career fair or anything like that. It's more yeah. like a like a networking discussion. It's going to be yeah. breakout rooms and things like that. But in a lot of cases, it's just a discussion. It's a panel discussion. Candidates can ask questions. People, service members can ask questions. Other companies can ask questions of of those of us, those companies who are already hosting these programs. Awesome. Yeah, I, I see that. Uh... The series is brought to you by you know, Cushman Wakefield, Amazon, Lowe's, ADP. But yeah, there's uh, a ton of other logos of companies here that mm-hmm. are, are involved. Navy Federal, uh, Google, General Dynamics, uh, just to name a few, Mayo Clinic. So, right. Yeah. Right. So, like you said, some of the most recognizable companies in the country. Okay. I, I, and it's, you know, these are, these are unique. You know, we lost Tim Kester and, and Tim Kester is a, you know, is a financial expert and, uh, he was a, he was a last minute add to this conversation because we had a little bit of a schedule change. And so we, we couldn't keep him the whole time, but we were going to talk about, you know, COVID recovery and things like that, mm-hmm. that, you know, the economists and, and the, the guessing game as it, as it is called the, uh, you know, what's happening to the workforce in America. They're saying that some, there's going to be some return to some normalcy. By mid year, if not by the end of the year, of course, all of this has to do with vaccine output. But if you're looking at it right now, like this week, I think they are now opening vaccines to people 40 years old and older. And then next week or the week after, it's going to be anybody over the age of 16. So the, the progress for vaccines, although the numbers don't show it quite yet, the progress for vaccines is that they're opening it up to everybody, which what follows is that people can start going back to work and not worrying about infecting each other, et cetera, et cetera. The issue with the military is that 200 to 250,000 people still leave the military every year. Mm -hmm. They have been all along. If you look at the way this goes, happens like this during any recession or downturn in the job market, the people who are very well-versed, very well-experienced in their careers, well-educated, they've got all the experience. When they get, when they get let go, they lose their jobs. Let's say they lost their jobs last March, April. Those people can then compete for lower level or junior level positions that they otherwise wouldn't go for. So they mm-hmm. fill those ranks. They say, Hey, I lost my $200,000 a year job. I'll go take that $150,000 a year job. And the person who was competitive for the $150,000 a year job lost theirs. Now they're going after the $75,000 a year job. You know, I'm just talking in very big generalities, but people leaving the military are impacted by this too, because historically they are, I don't want to use the word marginalized. They're not marginalized. They're overlooked. Mm-hmm. They're very well qualified. We've talked about this before. The U.S. military has a higher r- rate of of high school diplomas, college degrees, and advanced degrees than their same age counterparts in the civilian workforce. They are experienced. They're worldly experienced. They're cultured. They do a lot of the same work we do in the military. About 13% of the U.S. armed forces are actual combat arms. So the rest of them are the same jobs we're doing. They're logisticians. Mm-hmm. They're HR professionals. They're IT professionals. They're you know, managing properties and, and projects, et cetera, construction, you name it. Uh, but their resumes look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so, so what has happened traditionally when the job market shuts down, these people are still coming out of the military, still looking for opportunities. So Skillbridge is a great way for somebody who would otherwise get out of the military and have trouble finding a job to now plug into a company that can say, Hey, your resume looks a little strange. You don't have what we need on it, but you have some of what we need. Let's use that six months to 
plug in the rest of the knowledge that you'll need to be a successful candidate here. And then the idea at the end of the Skibridge internship is that you come work for us full time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a it's kind of a pathway like a college internship. It's a kind of a pathway. Get to know everybody, prove your worth, uh, get to know the business, get to know the process, and then come work here full time. So there's a lot of opportunities there that didn't exist when we got out. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and 50, 50 strong aims to have that conversation about uh, uh, how we get, how we make that connection and how we take more advantage of that. That's great. That's great. You know, um, yeah, Matt, Matt um, you've been a big help to me. I, I know I had some conversations at my place of uh, employment about the Skillbridge program trying to, you know, push a little harder uh, on, on the conversation that had already been you know, started probably a year or so ago at this company. Um, you know, and as Matt said, it's, it's most of the time it's, it's somebody gets caught up trying to find tooth comb it and find an issue. Um, uh, but yeah, I was pushing that discussion with, with my, uh, my, my place of employment. Matt was, Matt was helping me out there, giving me some pointers as well. Uh, but yeah, ultimately my goal would be every major company that can, that could possibly do this should be a part of this and should give opportunities to these individuals. Cause like Matt said, 200,000 plus individuals every year. Um, and, and the, the agreements here, the MOUs that, that a company signs, really, it just, it, it's a handful of things that say, you know, you're not a predatory organization. You're going to be training people. You're going to commit to a training plan. You're going to teach them something in the industry that helps them transition. When we, when we take too long to figure this out as companies, we're missing this amazing opportunity that does not require, there's, there's no legally binding items there. And so, uh, it's not like signing an agreement for, you know, a million dollars or whatever. It's, it's really just saying, Hey, we're, we're going to do right by the service member. And again, I'm oversimplifying this, but for a company not to take advantage of it, they're missing a, a, a major opportunity. And what it takes is two components, really the ability to train people, the ability to create a training plan and then have a staff of managers or supervisors that can oversee that work or can make sure that person is being trained. But then secondarily, you want to try to have a full-time role following that Skillbridge internship. Otherwise, you've just wasted all of your time training this person, showing them the ropes, and then, hey, see you later. Um, so it, it really, it's a win-win for both sides. It's a win-win for companies. Companies, you know, ultimately are looking for the best talent in the world. You get it from the military. Uh, you get it at zero cost in this case. It doesn't cost the employer anything. Uh, it represents a cost savings from payroll. Um, and, and then you're getting some of the best talent in the world and you get to train them up during that, that I call it the awkward teenage years of a career. It's the, yeah. the strange transition of what do I do next? Well, you get that for free. You don't have to spend company dollars to train them. You can use them. You can, you can use the time that they have allotted by the DOD to come work in your organization and learn what the business is. Yeah. So win-win. It's a, it's a, it's an easy, easy discussion to have. It, it absolutely is. Um, I, I wanted to ask you that you, you know you brought something up earlier with with COVID the the whole lockdown. Had you been in the military right now, and let's say you were supposed to get out in 2020, do you think the COVID and the economy would have possibly kept you around the military for one more enlistment, or would you have tried your hand, you know, despite knowing there's probably not a lot of places hiring right now, and the places that are hiring. You know, they're probably going to want someone, you know, local or so- someone they've dealt with before because right. they're going to be uh, relying on remote work, things of that nature. I, you know, it had been a rough go trying to get out this year. 
I've, I've talked to a few people. Now, some people who were retiring had no choice. Yeah. You know, they yeah. was like, hey, they planned on retirement. The military is, is, is saying goodbye. Uh, and that happens after a number of years, uh, mm-hmm. depending on what the next steps are or manpower or whatever. Uh, I've talked to a few people who uh, I'm having conversations about skill bridge or full-time employment. And then they decide, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do an, an extension. Some people are extending for another year or two or, or reenlisting completely or, um, keeping their commission, depending on, you know, what rank they are. Yes. Uh, I would say I've seen people make that decision to stay in. Um, and it, it's by occupational specialty in the military. I, you know, it's, it just depends on if you need, if you are needed around. I mentioned before, half jokingly, when I left as a combat engineer, when I left the Marine Corps, I got a call back like six or eight months later and they asked me if I'd like to come back for another year. Uh, that was at the time where we were facing a lot of IEDs and explosions in Iraq. And so they needed the engineers to come back. Um, I don't know what the jobs are right now. We talked about the retention bonuses for pilots and things like mm-hmm. that. I don't know what the jobs are that they're keeping. I don't know if the military is trying to downsize at this point. I, I'm not sure yeah. what all that looks like. But, you know, for for me, I probably would have looked around. And, and a lot of people in, in the military don't have visibility on this. They don't understand that the job market may be turned upside down right now. And so they're they're going to come out and say, hey, I made this plan with my family. We're going to go hit the bricks. And, uh, and it turns out that when they get there, they're kind of disappointed. So um, I think there's a, a couple of ways that that goes. Yeah, I, I I just know personally, it definitely would have been a much harder decision. Um, you know, knowing you're 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 walking out. You know, of uh, it's a guaranteed thing. You have a place mm-hmm. to stay, you have food to eat, and you have a job. And you know, it's not the greatest pay in the world, but every two weeks, some sort of money is going to hit your account. Right. Um, and, you know, and there's you know there are those unique benefits we talk about education and, and things like that. It's it it is it just depends on the the job. Uh, but there are other opportunities you can take advantage of. And, you know, after I left the Marine Corps, I learned about so many other people who did these amazing other, you know, they lit, they reenlisted and then went to work in Washington, DC, you know, or they went and did something, something else cool. So it wasn't sleeping on the ground and blowing things up anymore, which was fun. Got to a, a point where it was like, all right, I'm tired of this. I want to go do something else. Yeah. Um, you know, it just depends on, on, what your family demands of you and, and what comes next. I, I think, I think I'm thinking of this more from my age now. Like, like right now I'd be making, I hope better life decisions. Hey, happy St. Patty's day to you as well, Kenneth. Uh, I, I think as a young man, uh, I'd look at it and just say, Hey, well, I can just do school online and right. you, you take, take advantage of that GI bill, uh, spend this next year or two, uh, going after a two year degree. Um, if you decide to go after that four year degree after that, you, you can do that as, as well. But, right. you know, get past this, this economic downturn. You got a degree, you got your military background and then go hunt down that job you want. So, and that's what people did 12 years ago. Uh, yeah. when there was an economic downturn, people returned to school. I, mm-hmm. I was actually looking at going to law school back then and I ran into a, another lawyer who had just graduated from law school and the guy was like, don't do it. The, the market is saturated at this point. So, yeah, go to school. Use the GI Bill benefits. Go get a degree. Uh, find a part-time job. That's the other thing. There are plenty of companies hiring. There are plenty mm-hmm. of opportunities. I mean, drive down the street. Restaurants, stores, uh, logistics company. You name it. Everybody's hiring. 
they might not be the $150,000 a year jobs you're looking for. But if you're going to be a student right out of the military, you don't need that. You just need yeah. something to, you know, to pay the bills uh, or, or something to supplement your income. So, yeah, there's tons of options that, that we I think we historically look unfavorably on what happens you know, during the military or after the military as if it's a hindrance. And it, it, the only reason it's historically been a hindrance is, is when employers or the outside resources outside of the military are not aware of what to do with you. Um, but otherwise, in my opinion, it's an advantage. You just have to know how to use it. And that's where the conversation with like 50 Strong comes in or the conversations with people like me, the podcast that we're doing it's all advice on what happens next. How do you take full advantage of all the things that you, you can now throw on your resume? And uh, if you're not listening to that advice and using those resources, um, you will fall short. But if you take advantage of the networks and the resources and the LinkedIn's and the and the skill bridges and the different opportunities you have, GI Bill, you're going to be veterans, the, the veteran population, the current generation of, of recently transitioned veterans, like let's call post 9-11 veterans according to the stats, uh, make more money than their civilian counterparts. So it is an advantage. It doesn't look like it at first. It's a, it's a challenge to transition, but they make more money than their civilian counterparts at the same age. So there are advantages here. You just have to take it. You have to take advantage to use those advantages. Absolutely. Well, great conversation today. Uh, you know, stinks. Tim had to jump out uh, a little earlier than we expected, but uh, we had a good, good show today. Uh, again, Happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody out there. Um, you know, hopefully you're wearing something green. That way nobody pinches you. And you know what? If you if you listen, watch, you know, subscribe to the show. Hopefully we all find that pot of gold today. That'd be awesome. And we could all retire early. And, you know, then we'll all just be on that beach in Hawaii that Matt was talking about earlier as the Navy ship pulls away from port. Right. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I was, but I was counting beach chairs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, you can find us on all major social media platforms. Check us out there. Uh, give us that thumbs up. Give us the like. Give us the follow. Uh, you can also find us on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe to the show there. Give us ratings and reviews. It helps us build the audience and get in the ear holes of new listeners. And we would appreciate that greatly. With that all being said, Matt, any last words? It's not advisable to run around pinching people today in public who are not wearing green. Otherwise, have a great day. <laughs> great advice, Matt. Great yeah. advice. Uh, yeah, I have nothing else left to say for this week. So until next week, we'll see you right here on Beyond the Wire podcast. <laughs>